We're in Isaiah chapter 51 and we're going to read from verse 1. Hearken to me, ye that follow after righteousness, ye that seek the Lord. Look unto the rock whence ye are hewn, and to the hole of the pit whence ye are digged. Look unto Abraham your father, and unto Sarah that bear you. For I called him alone, and blessed him, and increased him. For the Lord shall comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places, and he will make her wilderness like Eden, and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness shall be found therein, thanksgiving and the voice of melody. Hearken unto me, my people, and give ear unto me, O my nation. For a law shall proceed from me, and I will make my judgment to rest for a light of the people. My righteousness is near, my salvation is gone forth, and mine arms shall judge the people. The isles shall wait upon me, and on mine arm shall they trust. Lift up your eyes to the heavens, and look upon the earth beneath, for the heavens shall vanish away like smoke, and the earth shall wax old like a garment, and they that dwell therein shall die in like manner. But my salvation shall be for ever, and my righteousness shall not be abolished. Hearken unto me, ye that know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law. Fear ye not the reproach of men, neither be ye afraid of their revilings. For the moth shall eat them up like a garment, and the worm shall eat them like wool. But my righteousness shall be for ever, and my salvation from generation to generation. Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in the ancient days, in the generations of old. Art thou not it that hath cut Rahab, and wounded the dragon? Art thou not it which hath dried the sea, the waters of the great deep? that hath made the depths of the sea a way for the ransomed to pass over. Therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing unto Zion, and everlasting joy shall be upon their head. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and mourning shall flee away. I, even I, am he that comforteth you. Who art thou? that thou shouldst be afraid of a man that shall die, and of the son of man, which shall be made as grass. And forgettest the Lord thy maker, that hath stretched forth the heavens, and laid the foundations of the earth, and hast feared continually every day because of the fury of the oppressor, as if he were ready to destroy. And where is the fury of the oppressor? The captive exile hasteth that he may be loosed, and that he should not die in the pit, nor that his bread should fail. But I am the Lord thy God that divided the sea, whose waves roared. The Lord of hosts is his name. And I have put my words in thy mouth, and I have covered thee in the shadow of mine hand, that I may plant the heavens and lay the foundations of the earth, and say unto Zion, Thou art my people. Awake, awake, stand up, O Jerusalem, which has drunk at the hand of the Lord the cup of his fury. 
Thou hast drunken the dregs of the cup of trembling and wrung them out. There is none to guide her among all the sons whom she hath brought forth, neither is there any that taketh her by the hand of all the sons that she hath brought up. These two things are come unto thee, who shall be sorry for thee? Desolation and destruction and the famine and the sword, by whom shall I comfort thee? Thy sons have fainted, they lie at the head of the streets as a wild bull in a net. They are full of the fury of the Lord, the rebuke of thy God. Therefore hear now this, thou afflicted, and drunken, but not with wine. Thus saith thy Lord the Lord, and thy God that pleadeth the cause of his people. Behold, I have taken out of thine hand the cup of trembling, even the dregs of the cup of my fury. Thou shalt no more drink it again. But I will put it into the hand of them that afflict thee, which have said to thy soul, Bow down, that we may go over. And thou hast laid thy body as the ground, and as the street to them that went over. Amen. May the Lord bless this reading of his word. Isaiah has previously spoken of those who fear the Lord and obey the voice of his servant. This was a name that he gave in the previous chapter. So he had previously spoken of those who fear the Lord and obey the voice of his servant. When we speak of fearing the Lord, we do not mean fear in the sense of terror or dread, at least not usually. We sometimes wish that people did fear the Lord because they understand how fearful it will be to fall into the hands of God without a saviour. However, of such the Bible says in Romans 8 verse 13, there is no fear of God before their eyes. So it is not that the carnal man has a fear of God because of dread of the judgment to come. What we are rather thinking of when the prophet here speaks of those who fear the Lord is that here are a people who view God with a sense of wonder, who have towards God an awareness of admiration and awe. We mean when we speak of having the fear of the Lord upon us, that we approach him with a reverence and humility because we are aware of his worthiness and his glory and our own unworthiness and our need. Actually, that word worthiness is a very useful and significant word in this context because 
It means worship. The word worship means worthship. It's when we understand the worth of God that we worship him properly. It's knowing that we worship him because we honour him, we admire him, we appreciate who he is and what he has done for us in Jesus Christ. When we come to worship, we come with an awareness of God's glory. It's not true worship if we have not an awareness of the glory of God and an awareness of his majesty, an awareness of his dominion. And we come with a sense of privilege, being able to approach him at all. So this is the sense that we have of the fear of the Lord. It's in this sense the more we know of God, the more we fear him and the more we revere him. So when Isaiah speaks of those who fear the Lord, he is speaking of sinners who come to God by faith, who trust in Christ to make us fit for his presence, who come with a sense of unworthiness and need. And that's where we begin this chapter today. It is coming with a sense of unworthiness and need. In the last chapter, Isaiah was speaking of those who fear the Lord, God's elect, men and women, boys and girls of faith who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, who know something of the cleansing power of Christ's blood. And here in the opening of chapter 51, we read these same people, these who fear the Lord, are described as those who follow after righteousness and seek the Lord. This is what it is to fear the Lord. It is to follow after righteousness and seek the Lord. It's a characteristic of the same people. It's characteristic of God's people. Who are God's people? What are God's people? God's people are those who follow after righteousness and seek the Lord, who have a sense of awe and wonder, who have a fear of the Lord in their souls and come before the Lord aware of their need. We follow righteousness because we know we have a need of righteousness. We have a hunger and thirst after righteousness. We seek the Lord because we know we have a need that he alone can satisfy. We seek him where he is to be found. We seek him in the scriptures. We seek him under the gospel. We seek him in the message of free sovereign grace because we have found him here in the past and he has done our souls good. And Isaiah calls on us to listen again to the word of God, which is something that those who fear the Lord 
gladly do. We come listening. We come trusting. We come to know God's purpose. We come desiring that he will show us more of Christ in this scripture to comfort us, to strengthen us and to learn of him. The Lord here calls this people my people. He calls us my nation. All who fear the Lord come near to hear the word of the Lord, to seek the Lord's blessing for their souls. And what I'm going to do today is take three signposts, three pointers from these verses that are before us. And I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to use them to point us to the Saviour, that we all might be supported and helped in the trials and challenges of our Christian life and our pilgrimage here. The first thing I want us to notice then is that in verse 5, the prophet tells us that Christ is near to us. Christ is near to us. My righteousness, says God, is near. My salvation is gone forth, and mine arms shall judge the people. The isles shall wait upon me, and on mine arm shall they trust. This verse is telling us that Christ is near his people. This is a verse for the Lord's elect. The very people of whom we have been speaking, who fear the Lord and to seek his righteousness. The Lord tells them that his righteousness is near. The Lord says, righteousness is near, my salvation is gone forth. And I think one of the great gospel revelations to these Old Testament people in these Old Testament scriptures is the realization that the Lord is our righteousness. Yes, they had the law given to them. Yes, they had the, 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 the typology. They had the symbolism. But they saw through all of that. They understood that it was not a self made righteousness, but that the Lord is our righteousness. God's people in the Old Testament never imagined themselves to be justified in their own righteousness. They knew whether it was Adam or whether it was Abraham or whether it was Moses or whether it was David or Isaiah or Jeremiah. They all knew, all the Lord's prophets, that righteousness was God's free gift and salvation was by grace. They knew the Messiah that was to come was the source and giver of righteousness. And hence, they looked eagerly for his coming. They knew that what they were by nature was unworthy of God's presence. 
They knew that they had been hewn from a rock of adamant rebellion and digged from a pit of miry clay. They knew that they had nothing to offer God but their sin. But the Lord says to them, my righteousness is near. To these Old Testament saints, there was a comfort and consolation granted. A gospel preached to them that said, my righteousness is near. Do you feel a need for that righteousness? Do you feel a need for the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord our righteousness? He is near us today, just as he always has been near his people. Jacob, old Jacob, could say in Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, Genesis, he could say, I have waited for thy salvation, O Lord. And what does the Lord say to, to Isaiah? My salvation has gone forth. Do you desire God's salvation? It is here. It is in Christ. It is near. He is close at hand. Do you feel guilty? Do you feel guilty of sin? Do you feel anxious for your soul's well-being? Are you doubtful? Are you weary? Christ is near. The Lord says in this verse, verse 5, Mine arms shall judge the people. What does that mean? It means simply this. Jesus Christ, who is the righteousness, Jesus Christ, who is the salvation, his arms shall judge the people. Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation. Mine arms shall judge the people is a statement of exclusivity. It is a statement of uniqueness and distinctiveness and particularity. Christ says, my arms, my strength shall judge the people. He is our perfect Samson. The world can kick against this all it likes. It can say, oh, there's many ways to God. Oh, there's many ways to live your life. But the Lord tells us here that the sole criteria for salvation is the work of Christ's arms. What he has done. And whether or not we are safe in Jesus' arms is whether or not we are saved for eternity. Are you safe today in Jesus' arms? Look further at what this verse tells us. It says this, the Lord is speaking. It says, the isles shall wait upon me and on mine arm shall they trust. Christ is near. And he is the only one who brings salvation. But he tells us in this verse that the isles, that is the Gentiles, shall wait upon the Lord and they will trust in his salvation. The isles are the nations of the world. And here it means particularly the elect amongst them. The Lord was promising these Old Testament Jews that his coming as the Messiah would be the opening of righteousness and salvation for sinners to the ends of the earth. 
So the gospel was preached to Isaiah's age. The good news of salvation was available to these Old Testament people as it is available to us today. It would be preached to the nations as it was preached to the Jews. And many would trust in his strength for righteousness, his arm to save. Christ's redeeming work for eternal life and for salvation would be the source of life for their souls. And I, I want us to, to remember this. I want us to realise this. This is, the, this is the, the loveliness of the continuity that we have between the, 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 the people of faith of a bygone age and our service here today with all of this amazing technology that we've got. Our presence here today, our connection, our fellowship, our union, our engagement with the, the Lord in these spiritual truths is part and parcel of this great work of salvation that has endured for hundreds, indeed thousands of years. Our presence here today as the Church of Jesus Christ confirms the nearness of the Lord's salvation to the Old Testament Jews and the isles that waited in the days of the Old Testament until the Messiah came and sent out his disciples, his apostles with the gospel at the time of his ascension. This activity upon which we are engaged today is the precise fulfilment of Isaiah's prophecies. So the Lord is near. That's the first pointer that I want us to, to note. The Lord is near and his righteousness is amongst us. The second one is, uh, is this. It's the reference that we have to this cup of trembling. And uh, I want us to, to just reflect on this for a little while as well because I think it is another important part of Isaiah's teaching that was particular perhaps to the Jews of his age but has a relevance that touches the experience of all of God's people and it's a part of our Christian life that ought not to be ignored or lightly passed over. The Lord's people, though gloriously righteous in Christ and heirs of the salvation which he has accomplished and all the promises of life that that brings, must nevertheless yet pass through this sinful world and in our passing endure the valley of tears and trial. There is a portion of tribulation, there is a cup of fury and trembling that is dispensed to the children of God in this life. And it is as well that we know about it. It is as well that we are prepared to endure it. 
because it will be part and parcel of our experience here upon earth. Let us not imagine that our lives will be charmed to go through our life's experience without facing trial and without tasting hardship. We must endure persecution. We must suffer loss. We must experience the bitterness of sin. We must engage in the battle of this flesh and we all must ultimately taste death in these bodies. And I know, I know that this little group, this little group that gathers week by week, this little fellowship that, that uh, perhaps there is a core and perhaps there are those further out on the edges, but that, this group, face trial and difficulty and problems. Some of us who are older right now are dealing with this reality. Some have lost near ones and dear ones. Some are anxious about their children's health and well-being. Some are conscious about the, 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 the uh, illnesses, the frailties of their own body, and they are considering right now their own mortality. But let us, in considering this cup of trembling that we all must face, let us note two things. One, forewarned is forearmed. The Lord has graciously informed his people about our weaknesses and our troubles that we might draw upon the helps that he has prepared and supplied for us. These helps include prayer and fellowship together. Preaching and scripture reading. The comfort of the Holy Spirit with us. Tokens of the Father's love that we experience day by day. The promise of the closeness, the near presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in dark times whether we are aware of it in the moment or not. He will never leave us nor forsake us. And there is purpose and there is usefulness in these times of trial for us. They teach us our own weakness. They keep us humble and they bring us to our knees. They exercise us as they exercise the need that we have and our dependency upon the Lord in practical matters day by day. We would never discover the nearness of the Lord, the closeness of the Lord, the help of the Lord, were it not for this cup of trembling, were it not for these problems that we face. They hurt but they are profitable for our soul and they are necessary for our growth in grace. They give us an empathy for our fellow believers. They encourage a sympathy for unbelievers. And they earn for us the opportunity to witness for Christ in a fallen world with all its suffering with all its pain, with all its hardship, with all its trials. An opportunity that we might not otherwise have if we did not experience 
the pains and the troubles and the trials of this fallen flesh. So the first thing I want us to take as comfort and consolation is that forewarned is forearmed. The second one is this, they will come to an end. The Lord's people shall overcome. We will suffer a little, but it will not be anything in comparison to the glory that will follow. The same Lord who hands the cup of his fury to us will sustain us through the experience and then he will take it from us. He will not suffer us to be tried above that we are able and he will help us to bear and he will bring us through. We will endure until the time of trial is over and he will say to us, behold, I have taken out of thine hand the cup of trembling, even the dregs of the cup of my fury, thou shalt no more drink it again. Some of us are being tested and tried right now. Some of us can say that we have tasted the cup of trembling. I tell you this, it will not overwhelm you. It will not last long. The Lord will remove it and you will be able, we will be able to testify with Jacob. Remember, Jacob, all he had, he had fled from his father's house. He, he was out, he had nothing, he was in the wilderness. The only thing he had was a rock for a pillow to lie on. And here's what he said. When his head was lying on a rock for a pillow, surely the Lord is in this place and I knew it not. And we will have occasion to say that with Jacob. And we will say in addition with the psalmist, I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvellous are thy works and that my soul knoweth right well. So here is also a cup of trembling. Yes, we have the Lord near us. Yes, we have his righteousness upon us. But there will be trials and troubles to endure. And here's the third point, and with this we're done. We have a message from the Lord to this world. Look at verse 16. He says, I have put my words in thy mouth, and I have covered thee in the shadow of mine hand that I may plant the heavens and lay foundations of the earth and say unto Zion, Thou art my people. This is telling both the Old Testament people of Isaiah's day and us today. We have a gospel to preach. The Lord has committed to his church the preaching of the gospel of free and sovereign grace for the salvation of sinners and the gathering of his people. And that is a privilege beyond measure. Whether we preach in a pulpit or we witness by word and action in the world in which we live, we have the testimony of Christ in our mouth and upon our lips.
We are the means of the gospel of grace going forth for the salvation of sinners. And this is a tremendous privilege. Of course, we understand that to have been evident in the time of Christ when the apostles went forth. But it continues to this day. And the Lord continues, he says, you will be protected. You will be enabled in the task that I will give you. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. We shall be successful. So that not one of the Lord's little ones will be lost. Not one of the Lord's people will be undiscovered in this world. Because the church has the word of the Lord upon its lips. Our God is right now planting his garden, his vineyard, with fruitful plants, cared for and tended according to his pleasure. And the garden of the Lord is glorious. That's what he is telling his people here in this verse. He says, I've put my words in thy mouth. I have covered thee in the shadow of my hand that I may plant the heavens and lay the foundations of the earth. This planting, this garden is the church of Jesus Christ. It's like the heavens because it's glorious, because it's splendid, because it's majestic. Because it burns with the brightness of the noonday sun. It is like the foundations of the earth because it is solid and sure. And it will endure forever. It will endure even longer than the earth endures. And he will say to Zion, thou art my people. Through the preaching of the gospel, through our preaching, through our testimony in this world, when you go to work tomorrow, when you are engaged in the activities of your daily life, when you interact with your friends and your neighbours, when you are about the business of living in this world, we are conveying to those around about us the very testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. And through that testimony, by that preaching, the Lord will say to Zion, his church, you are my people. I think it's wonderful that Isaiah saw all these things and was permitted to set them before the people of his own age for their encouragement and their believing of faith. And also these things have been recorded and preserved for us to review and to enjoy as the confirmation of the promises of God that were accomplished in the coming of the Messiah and the redeeming work of his hands. Our Lord Jesus Christ is near. His righteousness is with his people. His salvation is gone forth. He has planted his church for the glory of his name. And while it is true that there yet remains a cup of trembling to be experienced by all the Lord's little ones in this world and for the passage of our life in the flesh, yet all these things are working together for our good, for the good of all those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose.
the very tears we shed water the garden of God's making and gather the people of his choice. Brothers and sisters, amid the perplexities of life, let us remember the testimony of these Old Testament saints. These saints who have gone before, who have proved the faithfulness of God and are now enjoying the promises that he gave them in glory. Soon, heaven will be our portion too and we will hand the baton to the next generation if God uh, keeps this world going. We who trust in him, this world can do no lasting harm to those to whom the Lord says, you are my people, my people that know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law. May the Lord bless these thoughts to us today. Amen.